0: everyone, I want to welcome you guys all to church. We're so glad that you are with us here today. And um, if you're watching online, um, we're so thankful that you would spend this time with us. And um, if you're traveling or visiting from some other place and you've decided to spend these moments with us, man, we're so grateful, we're so honored. Um, We are kind of near the end, the second half, but close to the end of our current series. Our series is called 50 Days, 50 Days. And the subtitle is Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. And the 50 days, just to kind of catch you guys up, is a reference to one of the most important moments in the Christian church. And it's one that is so important, but we never really talk about it. And it's the day of Pentecost. And we spend a lot of time talking about what this really meant and all that kind of stuff. But all you have to know to get caught up on this series is that Pentecost was the day the Holy Spirit fell. And the early church began, like it was from that moment that the church began. So a really big deal uh, for the church, but we don't really talk about it. And the reason was a big deal is because of the Holy Spirit. So this series, though, is really more about the Holy Spirit than it is about the day of Pentecost. It's really about understanding the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you guys who this series has been for or who we had in mind as we began writing this message series, Pastor Jonathan and I. It's for anyone who, as you look upon kind of your own faith and your own life with God, and you feel like something is missing, that's who we're trying to talk to during this series. That you've grown up in church, and you heard the things, and you've listened to the messages, you've done the things, and you've done the Bible studies and all that stuff, but you feel like something is missing, and and you, you have moments where you think about your own walk with God and your Christianity and your faith, and you say, is this it? Like, is this all it is? It's just going to church once a week and, you know, reading this and listening to that. Like, is that really what this whole faith thing, whole life with God is about? If if you've ever kind of wondered that, this series is for you because I feel like if you're at a place where you feel like you're missing something, my argument is that maybe what you're missing is the Holy Spirit. Because what we see the Holy Spirit doing in the book of Acts and in the early church, I'm pretty sure that if that was happening in our lives, we wouldn't feel like something is missing. We would feel like complete and engaged and we'd be like, yeah, that's what the Christian life is supposed to be. That's what life with God is like. So if that's you, you feel like something's missing, I'm really glad that you're here. And I really want to encourage you especially to join us next week. uh, Whether in person here or online or, or listen to the podcast, because next week, is my favorite message of the whole series. As I, as I looked upon all four of them, I'm really super excited about next week's message. Because next week's message, we're going to wrap it all up. But we're going to answer this question. The question next week we're going to seek to answer is, what does it look like to live life led by the Holy Spirit? All, all we've been talking about so far have been like conceptually, in our, in our thoughts, how do we understand things? But next week, we're going to get really practical and look, what does it actually look like in my life if I were to allow the Holy Spirit to lead my life? What would happen? And what I want you to do is next week as we engage in that message, I want you to think, do I really want the Holy Spirit then? Because a lot of it is good stuff, and there's some of it that's not good stuff. And you have to ask the question. I want everyone to come to a point where you actually make a decision, not just like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, of course I want the Holy Spirit. No, no, what does it actually look like to have the Holy Spirit lead my life and do I really want that? And if you do, I'm gonna, give you a, I'm gonna give you a next step next week. A next step that is very simple and it's kind of easy, it's not that hard and it's not gonna blow your mind but it is a next step that I think if you commit to it and it's not that hard to commit to next week's next step if you do it, that will begin you on the process of beginning to hear and receive the Holy Spirit in more real ways in your life. And so that's next week. We're going to be talking about what does it look like to live life led by the Holy Spirit. What do I need to do? What next step do I need to take for me to begin to, to hear and receive? But today, there are some really important foundational ideas that we need to wrap our heads around when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And there may be some things that you have believed about the Holy Spirit and life with the Holy Spirit that have been wrong. And because they've been wrong, they've led you to feel disappointment with God. There are things that you might have believed that led you to expect certain things of God and the Holy Spirit, and you've been disappointed and you feel like God didn't show up. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a couple texts, and I'm going to share with you guys eventually three observations about life led by the Holy Spirit what it looks, not, not what it looks like, but kind of like, what do we need to do? What do we need to understand to be in a position, to be in a position to hear and receive the Holy Spirit? And also, what do we need to do to be in a position where the Holy Spirit's work would be set free in your life? Because there are certain things, like I'm saying, that we understand and believe about the Holy Spirit that actually hinders His work in your life. And if we're able to flip those and believe those things, it'll set free the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Now, I don't know if you want this, but I want to present to you guys what it looks like, what we need to understand in order for you to make a decision of whether this is something that you may desire in your life. You with me? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, God, for the message today. These conceptual foundational truths that we got to get right if we ever want to live life led by the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I come to you, I pray to you right now, do your thing, I'm going to obey. Lord, move in the ways that you need to move. Speak to us in the ways we need to be spoken to, in your name we pray, amen. So let me tell you guys what I thought was going to happen this week as I prepared this message, right? I had kind of a grand plan mastermind. All right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do what I was trained to do in our illustrious Andrews Seminary, right? What I was trained to do by these professors, I was going to do I was like, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the book of Acts. I'm going to find every single occurrence where the Holy Spirit moves someone, I was gonna pull out my Strong's Concordance, if you guys don't know what that is, it's a big giant book that tells you where every single word is used in the, in the Bible. And I was gonna look up my concordance, look at the book of Acts and be like, bam, 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 look at all the times the Holy Spirit directs and guides someone. I was gonna be a good Bible student, look at the context, do do exegesis and pull out these truths and say, okay, as we look at all the times the Holy Spirit moved someone, this is what we can learn. And this is step one, two, three. These are the instructions of what happens and what we have to do, what we need to understand in order to be directed and guided by the Holy Spirit. And this is what I came up with. I looked at all the examples of when it says the Holy Spirit, like, did something, and there's only three in the book of Acts. I was like, God, I'm trying to be a good Bible student here. I'm trying to be faithful to the word. you got to give me something, you got to work with me. But I found three texts. And let me tell you what the text read. All right? I'm going to read them real quick. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Here we go. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, interesting fasting, the Holy Spirit said, so we have that phrase, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Okay, all right. That's the first one. Like, maybe we're just getting started. Maybe it's going to get better, okay? So, so that, that's the first example. The second one, Acts chapter 16. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit, interesting, kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Okay. Okay, he's trying to go somewhere, Holy Spirit doesn't let him go. He tries to go this way, the Holy Spirit doesn't let him go. Interesting. Last one, Acts chapter 20. This is the Apostle Paul talking about his experience with the Holy Spirit. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. That's it. Those are the three verses in the book of Acts where it specifically said the Holy Spirit did something, and it guided somebody. And so I was looking at these three texts, and I was like, "What? there's nothing there. I don't know what to say about this kind of stuff. And then I looked up some commentaries, because that's what good Bible students do. You look at commentaries, and listen to what one commentator said. In each of these cases, okay, sounds good. In each of these cases, we are not told how the Holy Spirit spoke to them. In some unexplained way, he communicated with these people. So, since we are not told exactly how we did this, it would be fruitless for us to speculate. Happy Sabbath, everyone! Thanks for joining us at church today. I hope you join us for potluck. Right? Like, I, I read this commentary. I was like, okay, so there's nothing. There's, there, there's no way I can look and kind of create a step-by-step plan, instructions and teachings for you about how to engage with the Holy Spirit because they're all so random. The first one is about like, okay, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate these people for the ministry. Okay, I guess we could do that. Like anyone want to get dedicated for a ministry, we can do that. One of them said, don't go here. And then the other one said, go here. And if you go there, you're going to go to prison. Like, these are all completely random. There's no connection. There's no pattern. And I was like, so frustrated. I was like, God, I wanna preach a message that's like meaningful and powerful and lead our church to start following the Holy Spirit, but I got nothing here. But as I began to dig and dig and expanded my search and looked beyond kind of like just the moments that said the Holy Spirit specifically did something, but expanded the search to um, like these moments where God communicates, where God directs. Because the Holy Spirit is God, so that's not a far jump, right? So we have these moments where the Holy Spirit does things, and then when we look at the times God communicated or God spoke or God directed in the book of Acts, there emerges a couple key ideas that I want you to understand. And it's not a step-by-step, it's not a one, two, three, this is how you do it, but these are really, really key ideas in understanding our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And how we can be in a position, like I said earlier, to allow the Holy Spirit to be freed to work in us. Okay? So I'm going to look at a couple texts. And then we're going to pull out three observations. And that's what we're going to do today. The first one is pretty simple that it's not going to be mind-blowing. All of you guys, if you grew up in church, you probably thought this and and maybe knew this. But let's go to the first example, the first moment the Holy Spirit comes on the scene. In Acts chapter 2, we've read this verse every single week. week We've been doing this series, the the moment of the Pentecost. So Acts chapter 2 starts like this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from the heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit, or languages as the Spirit enabled them. So if you look at this, I want you guys to like picture the scene. They're all together in this room and then it says that there is a sound, a sound of a violent wind. It's hard to say if there was actually a violent wind because we don't, it doesn't say it says that there was a sound of a violent wind. Maybe there was a movement of a violent wind. We're not sure, but like a windstorm, sound of wind. That's what they heard. That's maybe what they felt. And then what did, they, what did they see with their eyes? They saw this image of tongues of fire. I still don't know what that means, honestly. I've looked it up, and I can't figure out why tongues of fire. I don't know. If you know the answer, tell me later, and that would be really cool. But they saw fire. And I don't know if they also felt fire, but they saw fire around them settling on each person. So they saw fire, they heard wind, they may have felt the heat of the fire, and they may have felt wind. What does this tell us? What does this tell us about engaging in a moment with the Holy Spirit? What this tells us about the Holy Spirit, the first observation is life led by the Spirit is primarily a sensory experience. Okay? Life led by the Holy Spirit is primarily a sensory experience. Everything that happened in Acts chapter 2 in the Pentecost was something they saw with their eyes, heard with their ears, and possibly felt with their skin. Like It's a sensory thing. It's not necessarily uh, an intellectual, educative kind of experience. And that's kind of uncomfortable for us, if we're honest. But it was something that they experienced with their senses. And now this experience was informed by the Word of God because Jesus said to them in Acts chapter 1, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's going to come. In John chapter 14, he taught them about the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist also taught them with the whole, about the Holy Spirit. He even mentioned the words baptized with fire. So it was informed and educated by the Word of God, but it was primarily a sensory experience. It was something they felt. It was an impression It was something that was not necessarily external. It wasn't necessarily a truth that that, that could be scientific. And that was my problem. Like, I wanted to approach the Holy Spirit as if he was science. It was scientific. I wanted step one, two, and three. But what I realized is that the Holy Spirit, an engagement with the Holy Spirit, it's not a science. It's an art. It's not measurable, and it's not repeatable like how we understand science to be. In order for something to be science, it has to be measurable, observable, and repeatable. Now, the Holy Spirit arguably is observable in the life of people, but it's not necessarily repeatable. Like, what the people did to receive the Holy Spirit then doesn't mean that if we do it now, the Holy Spirit is going to come. Just because it worked for someone in this way, it can't be manipulated like that. The Holy Spirit is not necessarily measurable. You can't really figure that out in that way. It's not scientific. It's, it's an art, and that makes sense, right? Because the Holy Spirit is not a theory. It is not a concept. It is not a law. The Holy Spirit is, as we understand it from Scripture, a person. And you don't interact with people like that. You interact with people in a relationship, and a relationship is not scientific. It's an art, isn't it? So the first thing that we have to understand if we want the Holy Spirit in our lives and we want to see the Holy Spirit in our church and in our experiences, it is a sensory experience. It has to do with things that you feel on the inside. And again, that, that can be uncomfortable for some of us because with that, you can take it to all kinds of directions, right? Like it's easy to take feelings and just make your whole faith and your whole experience about what you feel. And you can lead you to a place of emotionalism, where you trust your feelings more than you trust God. And I have a ton of experience with that. I've shared in, my, in the church about how years ago I struggled with this, like feelings and faith and all that. I kind of went through all that whole stuff. So I understand the danger of allowing your senses and your feelings to overtake your relationship with God. It can't just be about that. But as you look at Acts chapter 2, you also can't deny that it's a sensory experience. And it's easy to be like, oh, and it's scary to think if I, if I allow my feelings to control, I could be led into all kinds of weird directions just because I feel this way. It's hard to talk about things like that. And so maybe I'll just not, I'll just remove all my emotions. I'll just remove all my feelings and all my senses from my life with God. And it's just going to be about my brain. And it's just going to be about what I learn in the Bible. And it's just going to be what about what I think. But as I look at like the story and the life of God and the Holy Spirit, there must be an element where we're willing to feel. There must be an element where we're willing to surrender what we feel because it's scary and it may make us feel like we're losing control. But apparently that's how the Holy Spirit likes to direct us and engage with us in impressions and nudges and thoughts and feelings. And so we have to understand that if we want to engage with the Holy Spirit in meaningful ways, we have to get to that point. The Apostle Paul, he, he said, remember, like, I, I got to a place where I wanted to go here, and the Holy Spirit said, no, you can't. He wouldn't let me. Actually, what it says, he was prohibited. And then he says, I'm bound or compelled by the Holy Spirit to go. And, and there's no reason to believe that it was physical. Like, he was walking, and then he, like, ran into an invisible wall. Like, I really want to get, like, a mime, you know? Like, I I don't think he was doing that. We understand that when the Apostle Paul said, I wanted to go there, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me, it was an impression or a conviction or a feeling. In fact, this is what he says later in 1 Corinthians. The person without the Spirit does not accept things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And they cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So it would make sense, right, that the Holy Spirit is understood as a spiritual thing. That is not a science, that is not like that. And Paul says you gotta be in the Spirit to be able to understand the Spirit. We're talking in a whole different realm than what we're used to. We're used to touching, feeling what's in front of me, that's real. But the spiritual world where the Holy Spirit moves and interacts, according to him, is very much just as real as the things that you see and can feel with your hands. But we need to be able to be willing to interact with the Holy Spirit at a sensory level through impressions and nudges and convictions. And we're going to talk a little bit more later about how we can understand that. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit more, about more like the guidelines and how to understand that, how to make sure it's not, it's not you or it's not someone else, but it's the Holy Spirit. That's important. But let's begin by understanding that if the Holy Spirit is going to move you in some way, most likely it's going to be something internal. It's going to be something that you feel and a conviction and nudge and an impression. Now, that one is like not that surprising. Probably you guys were like, yeah, I kind of knew that. I knew the Holy Spirit. That's kind of how he speaks and that's kind of how he directs us. For the second and third observation, I think these are really, really key. These are going to be a lot more challenging than the first one. I'm going to look at three stories, and they're right in the middle of Acts. It's Acts chapter 8, 9, 10, back to back to back. But I'm going to read all the stories. I'm going to try to do them quickly, and make sure you guys kind of get the gist of each story in Acts chapter 8, 9, and 10. And then I'm going to pull out these two uh, uh, observations, 2 and 3. So let's look at Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, what happens is this is right after a guy named Stephen. He's the very first Christian martyr. He's the very first guy to die for his faith. And so in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is murdered and killed for his faith. And after that, what happened was basically it was open season and all Christians. Oh, I guess we can kill Christians now. Like, that's a thing now. So all the Jews started going out trying to kill Christians, and this huge persecution emerged and started. So Christians all began to flee. And one of the places they went to was a place called Samaria. And so they would go to Samaria because the Jews, who were the ones doing the persecuting, they're not going to go to Samaria. Because the Samaritans, they don't like the Jews, and the Jews don't like Samaritans. You can't go there. So all these Christians said, let's go to Samaria then because the Jews won't come and get us there. So they all fled. And one of the guys who fled there was one of the disciples. His name was Philip. And so he goes there for, for, to, to find safe haven to protect his life. And, and while he's there, he's preaching and teaching and all these crazy things happen, right? But this is what happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So here we're going to be in the realm of, like, God speaking, directing, and guiding through angels or visions. Not necessarily where it says specifically the Holy Spirit. But hopefully you guys are willing to take that that jump with me there. Okay? So an angel goes to Philip and says, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Ken, uh, Ken, Kandikei. I think usually it says Candace, but I'm not really sure how to pronounce that. But, which means queen of the e- Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting, and on his way home, sitting in the chariot, reading the book of Isaiah to the prophet, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Okay, so we have a moment where the Spirit is actually directing and guiding here in this story as well. So he, he is moved by God through the message of an angel by the Spirit to go down this road for, un, for some unknown reason and then meets this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch, and the Spirit says, Hey, hey, you see that guy? Go over there and just stand by him, which is really, really odd. But he says, okay, so Philip goes, and then he began to teach him, and then the story co- concludes in Acts chapter 8, 35, 36. It says, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus as they traveled along the road. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is the water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And so this Ethiopian eunuch is baptized. It's a super interesting part of the story. Right after that, Philip is teleported away to some other place. I'm not going to explain that one because I have no idea how that happened. But that's the end of chapter 8, or the story in chapter 8. Now, let's move to chapter 9. In chapter 9, you have a guy named Saul. Remember I told you about Stephen? Stephen was murdered. One of the guys who was there was a guy named Saul, and he was the enemy of the church. And his goal in life was to destroy the church. But for some reason, God chooses him, Jesus chooses him, and he has this conversion experience. And so Saul is at a place where he's now blind, and he needs to relearn and rethink and begin a whole new life. Because everything he believed about God and everything he believed about Jesus was wrong. And so now he needs to start all over. And he accepts Jesus as his Lord, but he doesn't know what that's like. So God does something here in Acts chapter 9. It says this. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he... Is praying. And Ananias is like, Saul from Tarsus? I know that guy. I heard of that guy. He's trying to kill us all. He's trying to destroy the church. Are you sure you want me to go there? Because if I go there, maybe it's a trap. Maybe he's going to kill me. Maybe he's going to put me in prison. What I, I, is this a really good idea, Lord? And then God answers, but the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then he goes. And I think it's really funny that Ananias finally decides to go after God says, I'm going to show him how much he has to suffer. Ananias is like, okay, sounds good, let's go. All right. So, Ananias is directed by God to go to Saul. Third story, we're almost done. Acts chapter 10. It's this moment where Peter has a vision. And in Acts chapter 10, verses 9, it starts like this. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was still being prepared, he fell into a trance. And in his trance, in his vision, this gigantic blanket comes down from the ceiling. I know this is crazy, right? And there's this gigantic buffet in front of him. And the voice says, Peter, eat of this food. And on that blanket of food are all these kinds of things that that Peter's not supposed to eat as an Israelite. He says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And he explains to him and he explains to God in Acts chapter 10. He says, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Immediately after that vision, he goes down and these two messengers from a Roman Gentile military officer come and they say, we're looking for Peter. We need Peter to come to go meet this guy, our master, his name is Cornelius. And so Peter's like, okay, I'll go. And then he goes to Cornelius' house, which he was never allowed to do. Jews were not allowed to enter the home of Gentiles. But this is what Peter says. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Okay, so these are the three stories Acts chapter 8, 9, and 10. What are the observations? What can we pull from these stories to understand about how we are supposed to engage with the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit engages with us? Here's my second observation. In each of these stories, Acts chapter 8, 9, and 10, every time the Holy Spirit directed and guided someone, it was for a purpose, right? There was a reason why the Holy Spirit was speaking. There was a reason why God was sending a messenger. There was a reason for a vision. There was a purpose for it, and what was that purpose? In Acts chapter 8, the purpose was for Philip to meet the Ethiopian, yeah? In Acts chapter 9, the purpose was for Ananias to meet Saul, And the last word, Acts chapter 10, was the purpose was for Peter to meet Cornelius. Each story had a very specific purpose. And what was that purpose? Why did God want these guys, these disciples, to meet those people? It was for only one reason. The reason the Holy Spirit directed and guided uh, uh, Ananias and Peter and Philip was for them to go and save and lead someone to Jesus. That's why. The reason why the Holy Spirit spoke to each of these guys, I want you to meet these guys because they need to meet me. I'm sending you for the purpose of the salvation of souls. Like, we need to understand how important that is. The Holy Spirit directed these people when they're engaged in the ministry and the mission of God to save souls, not to perform magic tricks. See, the purpose was, was very specific. He did not pour out his spirit. He did not direct them so that he could do a miracle so that Peter and Philip and Ananias could believe. You guys see that? He did not direct them and guide them so that the believer, the Christian, the follower would have proof or confirmation so that they would believe more or that they would believe better. But let's be honest, isn't that the reason why we, you and me, have ever prayed, God, I want to see a miracle? Why did you pray that prayer? Is because you wanted God to do something so that you would believe, that your doubt would be overcome because you needed confirmation. Guess what? The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. If you look at Acts 8, 9, and 10, he's like, I'm not going to pour up my spirit so that you could believe more or believe better. I'm going to pour up my spirit because I want to save souls. That's my purpose. That is my purpose. I'm not here to do magic tricks so that you can feel better about your faith because you don't understand something. I gave you the Bible. Just read that and figure it out. I'm not going to jump over. I'm not going to flip through wheels. I'm not going to do all these crazy things just so you could feel better and sleep at night better because you don't really understand or get me or because you have doubts and questions. I'll help you with that. But that's not why I'm going to perform these miracles. Like, if you think of the stories, the reason he, he, he speaks and guides is not even to provide physical healing. I guess you could argue that Paul was, you know, he was blind and he needed, to be, he needed to be able to see again. But you know that that's not the point. Like, he didn't say, go here this direction because there's someone with a broken leg that I need you to heal. Oh, 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 turn left, go this way. Don't go here because I need you to meet this guy who can't hear. Or there's a person with a demon I need you to cast out. Those are all really important things. But the purpose of the Holy Spirit speaking and directing people was for the salvation of souls. Not to perform miracles so that people would believe more or believe better. And the thing is, I'm as a pastor, as a a leader of a church, like, I'm all about the church needs to serve the community, love the community. We need to do outreach. We need to make our community and our city a better place. Like, I believe that the church needs to be a force for good and provide services and food and all those kinds of things. We got to do all those things. We're called and commanded to do all those things. But don't get me wrong. Make no mistake. In our world, the greatest need that our world has is Jesus. That is what the world needs. Like we we can feed people and we should show the love of Jesus and we do all those things. But there is nothing better that we can do for our world than to show them Jesus. There is nothing that our world needs more than salvation, the salvation of their souls. Their inner healing that comes from knowing Jesus and receiving his love, his unconditional love. That's what our world needs. That is of utmost importance to us as a church to share Jesus with people, to lead people into a relationship with Jesus. Like, that's what we're here about. That's why we're here. That's what it's all about. I believe that will change lives. And so when we, only when we engage in that, that's when the Holy Spirit is going to move. But it's not going to move in this room because we're like, God, I don't know if you're real. Can you please do something for me at church? God, I have doubts and questions. I don't know. Can you just like maybe heal someone at church this Sabbath? It's not really how he works. It's not really what he's about. And so here's my second observation. Here's my second observation. If we want to position ourselves to receive the Holy Spirit and hear the Holy Spirit, what we have to understand is that the Holy Spirit is for the streets, not the seats. It's for the streets. It's for ministry out there. I know that's cheesy. Sorry, but I like it, okay? The ministry of the Holy Spirit is for outside the church's walls. It's for the people that you meet at work and at school. It's for them, not for the seats in our, in the church. It's not for the pews. It's not for us to sit back and watch a show so we could feel better about our faith and our questions and our doubts. It's for the streets. Not the seats. Now, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit will help you with your doubts and questions. But what Jesus says, he does it through conviction of sin. He does it through thoughts and directing your, your thoughts and ideas, not through miracles. So God's going to help you with that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, gonna, I, I'm not trying to make it sound like God doesn't care about your questions or your doubts. The Holy Spirit will lead you in that, but he doesn't do it through manifestations of the Holy Spirit. That's not really how he does it, Generally. So that's my second observation. If we want to experience the Holy Spirit, if we want to be directed and guided, we have to make a commitment to engage in the ministry and the mission of God to save souls if that's what we want to see. If you want to see the Holy Spirit move, if you want to hear God speak to you, go and send, go and lead people to Jesus in your life. Talk to your neighbor, talk to your your classmate, talk to the person on the street, talk to your patient, talk to the worker, talk to your coworker, I don't know who. But as we look at these stories, that's why he speaks, that's why he guides, and that's why he directs. Third observation. When you think about all the three guys, Philip, Ananias, and Paul, oh, and Peter and Paul, actually, and you think about the situations that we're in, Philip was in Samaria. Why? Remember why, why I said he went to Samaria? He's trying to run away from persecution. People are after him. He was one of the original disciples, he was, a, he was a target. And so he runs away to Samaria and he does his ministry there, but he's, he's seeking safe haven. And then the Spirit of God, the angel, says, I need you to leave this safe place where you're safe and no one's going to come and try to kill you. I need you to leave. So as he leaves Samaria, you have to understand that he's leaving safety. That as soon as he steps out of Samaria, the target is back on his back. And word is going to spread, oh Philip is there and the Jews might come and try to get him and throw him in prison and kill him or whatever. And Ananias, he's going to Saul, the enemy. The guy who's killed people, the guy who's thrown people into prison, the the believers, the guy who was standing there when Stephen was getting murdered and he looked upon it, as the Bible says, with approval. And And God is sending Ananias to that guy. Peter, as he was thinking about whether he should go to Cornelius, he knew that if he went there, he would be strongly criticized and attacked by the other Christians and the other Jews other Jewish Christians in fact if you continue to read that story that's exactly what happens after he meets Cornelius he goes home the other Christian Jews are like what I heard you went to Cornelius's house and they start attacking him and criticizing and he has to he has to defend himself and then we saw in the apostle Paul when he was talking about it's like everywhere I go the only thing I know is that the Holy Spirit says you're going to prison everywhere I go I'm going to experience suffering and prison if I follow the Holy Spirit so what's my point and every single one of these occurrences with people who are directed and guided by the Holy Spirit, there was always a risk. There was always a risk involved. But every single one of them, what did they do? They obeyed. In every single one of them, there was a spirit of obedience. I know that that's gonna happen. I know that that's a possibility. But because you told me, Lord, Holy Spirit, because you are guiding me, I will obey. I will follow. Every single one of them, when they heard the Holy Spirit, when they were nudged and impressed by the Holy Spirit, they decided to obey. Well, we have to understand about the Holy Spirit and life with the Holy Spirit. The third observation is that a spirit of obedience is required to experience the Holy Spirit. Like, if you're not gonna follow the Holy Spirit... If you're going to receive a word from the Holy Spirit and be like, I don't really feel like it today. I'm very busy. I got a lot of errands to run. You will not generally hear the Holy Spirit. If you have not built a spirit of obedience, a willingness to follow the word of God in your life, the Holy Spirit generally is probably not going to come. And you're not really going to experience that sensory nudge or push or conviction If you do not have a spirit in your life where you're willing to obey, no matter what the risk. You know, for a lot of us, for a lot of us, and I'm with you on this as well, that we are willing to obey as long as there's no risk. We're always willing to obey as long as it is safe. And it's not that inconvenient. It can be a little bit inconvenient, but once it passes a very low threshold, we're like, that's probably not God speaking to me anymore. But as you look at these stories, the Holy Spirit is directing and guiding people who have already decided, I will follow you. No matter what the cost, even if it's my life, even if it's my time, even if it's my f- everything that I'm dealing with, Like I will follow. And those are the people who experience and hear the Holy Spirit in the most meaningful Ways And and Jesus actually said, said, talks about this in John chapter 10. Listen to what he says. He says, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they do what? They follow me. Following and a decision to follow Jesus and obey is a prerequisite to hearing the voice of God in your life. So if something is missing in our lives, we we look at our faith and we're like, ah, my faith is kind of weak. Is this really all that it is To, 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 to being a Christian? I don't really hear the voice of God. The question I have to throw to you is like, are you actually willing to obey him? Do you have the intention, do I have the intention to obey him no matter what the risk? Even if it makes you look dumb, even if it embarrasses you, even if it costs you money, are you willing to obey? Because if you're not, you're not going to hear anything. So as I was kind of studying this, where, where, where I wanted to go was another failed att- fail attempt at this sermon, right? is because I was like, okay, so we have these examples of like when you, when you do follow him, like when, when people did follow him. I wanted to look at when people didn't follow him. Because, like, it's good to know what people did to follow him. It's also good to know what people did to not follow him, right? Like, why didn't they hear the Holy Spirit? Why didn't they obey it? And maybe we can kind of learn from all these things. And I looked through all the whole book of Acts. You know what I found? There is no story of the Holy Spirit speaking to someone and someone's like, nah. You don't have any stories like that. Nobody has a moment where God speaks to them in the book of Acts And you have it in the rest of the Bible, like Jonah and stuff like that. But in the book of Acts, nobody hears the voice of God and says, I don't feel like it, I'm not gonna do it. And I was thinking about that, I was like, oh, it would be really nice to have kind of the, the other side of the story. That'd be really, really nice. But here's what I realized the reason there's no story of people ignoring the Holy Spirit is because when you ignore the Holy Spirit, you have no story to tell. You know what I'm saying? Well, what are they going to write in Scripture? And so this man, hold this, holy, this man heard the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit directed him, and so he decided not to do it, and he went grocery shopping instead. Like, what kind of story is that? Why would that make it into the Word of God? That wouldn't, because when you ignore the Holy Spirit, you will have no story to tell. And I don't know if you guys have ever had moments when you're sitting in church or worships, and you're like, man, that missionary, he has crazy stories. If I had those stories, I'd believe like him too. Oh, man, that person telling that testimony, they have a powerful story. I have no story. But we have no story to tell. We have no story worth telling if we consistently ignore the voice of God in our lives. If you want a story, if you want to hear voice of God, if you want a story to tell, you have to start obeying. You have to start following. And here's what's going to happen. Once you start obeying, and I think God, what God does is I think he starts to stuff small because he knows, like, we're weak. So he's like, I'm going to give you a little one. I'm going to give you a little push here. And it's not going to cost a lot, but I need you to do this little thing. I need you to respond a little bit. And once you do that, you see God move in a certain way, and then your faith is built. Like, oh, okay, 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 got it. I saw that, God. Thank you, thank you. That was really cool. And then another moment, he's going to give you another push, another nudge, and you're going to obey this time, and you're going to see God move, and you're like, oh, okay, and your faith is going to build, and you enter on into this cycle where God is going to build your faith, but it requires what? Obedience. It requires a response. It requires a decision to follow him. Then, then you will have stories to tell. Then you will have stories to tell people like, I didn't really know God, but then this happened, and now, like, man, this is how things are. I I, I was so questioned, I questioned and I had doubts and I wasn't sure what to do, but then I began to obey and look what happened. Then you're gonna have a story. But you gotta know that the spirit of obedience is a requirement, a prerequisite to hearing the Holy Spirit in your life. So those are my three observations, real simple, right? That the Holy Spirit, the experience with the Holy Spirit, it's a sensory experience. It deals with internal things. It deals with feelings and sensations. And and I don't know why I feel like I should do this, but I gotta. I don't know why I feel like I need to say this, but I feel like I gotta, right? It kind of moves in that way. And there's no science to that, but it's a relationship. The second observation is that the Holy Spirit is not for here to convince you of anything. It's for you to go to the streets, to go to the people. As you engage in the mystery of the salvation of souls, the mission of salvation of souls, that's when the Holy Spirit is going to start moving. But it's not going to move if we're just sitting here in these seats every single week, refusing to get out and to share the love of Jesus and share the word of God with other people. And third, that last observation is that a spirit of obedience is required to experience the Holy Spirit. Now, as we close today, I don't really have any, like, applications. I'm a big application guy. Like, give you a question, give you a thought, give you something to to take away with you. But I got nothing. Because all the applications, it's all next week. I have three next week, okay? And that's good. Two sermons, three applications. That's good. One sermon, three applications, that's kind of a lot. But two sermons, we got three applications next week. That I want you guys, I want you guys to be here for that. Because that's where it all comes down to. All of this is just preliminary information, Because I don't want you to be like, yeah, I want the Holy Spirit, but not position yourself in a place to hear and receive the Holy Spirit. That would be a shame. But now we know, what do we have to do to be in that position to hear, receive, unleash the Holy Spirit in our lives? We can do that now. But next week is where it really comes down to it. Because next week we're going to learn about what does it look like to actually live in the Spirit? What's going to happen? If I'm actually willing to do this, do I really want this? And I'm going to give you a next step, one simple thing that if you commit to it, is going to begin you on the process to receiving and hearing the Holy Spirit in your life. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know, like we said in the very first message of the series, we cannot afford to ignore the Holy Spirit any longer in our lives. So if you're at a place where you feel like something's missing... You feel like your, your, your faith and, and your experience with God lacks power and, 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 and is, is weak and you're not really sure what this whole thing is. I feel like the Holy Spirit is what you've been looking for. And I hope that today as you've heard these things, you realize, oh yeah, I totally believed the wrong thing. I've been praying for God to do a miracle so I could just like be convinced. But now I know that that's not how he works. And that actually now I'm realizing it doesn't honor him. It doesn't honor God to demand miracles so that he would prove himself to you. But it does honor God to engage in his mission for the salvation of souls for the people he loves. That honors him and that would make sense why then he would speak and lead and guide. And I also now realize that I don't have a spirit of obedience. I have a spirit of convenience and maybe disobedience. And now I know that if if I'm just willing to, to obey him that maybe he will start speaking to me in real ways and meaningful, meaningful ways. So as we close now, I just want to ask you to come back next week or listen next week if you can't be here because that's what it all comes down to. If you just listen to this and not next week, it's all pointless. It's all pointless. So come back next week as we conclude our series, 50 Days, as we learn about how to engage and experience the Holy Spirit in our lives. Come back next week, yeah? Yeah? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you, God, for this message. Thank you, God, for the things that I've learned about you. Thank you, God, for the things that I learned about how you want to interact with me. And I've realized that in so many ways, man, I had it the wrong way. And I had thinking that was faulty. And now you've shown me such really, really important truths that make a lot of sense if I just sit and think about it. All I know, though, is I want us Holy Spirit, I want you in us. I want you in our lives. I want to be guided and directed by you. I want to experience what it's like to live life led by the Spirit. And if there's anyone else here in this room that wants that, Lord, I pray that you would continue along, along us in this journey so that we might hear those things and that we might begin to have a spirit of obedience that would allow you to begin speaking and guiding us. Lord, please be with us now in this moment as we're learning these new things, these concepts about the Holy Spirit. And Father, I look forward to the day when we see the Holy Spirit in real, tangible ways every day of our lives. But God, take us there. We can't get there on our own. Lead us to that place. Thank you, Father, in your name we pray. Amen.